Greetings and welcome to the Mr. Science Show, the podcast where science meets pop culture. Yes, we still exist. I've almost forgotten how this intro goes, but my name is Mark West, and this week we're going to be talking about time travel, some of the science behind time travel, and how time travel has been portrayed in the movies. And I'm talking to my old friend and scientist extraordinaire, Dr. Boob, a.k.a. Chris Pettigrew. Not from Ireland this time, but coming to you from the home of baseball. Boston. We caught up for a Skype chat recently, and this is part one of our Time Travel and Movies podcast. I'd like to tell you a little story, take you back to the uh, early 1980s, if I can. Tell me a story. It's a story that I've only heard secondhand because I'm too young to remember it. Back in the early 1980s, there was, um, I was probably four or five. Yes. But I went to the cinema for the very first time. And my parents took me, and it was a very exciting movie, but it was a little bit too much for me, and I started to get a bit upset at the climactic uh, final few scenes. Um, there was a storm involved and I started to cry and I was upset and I asked my mother if she could take me outside because I didn't want to, you know, I was scared. Yes. And she did that and she's never forgiven me since because she was really enjoying the movie and I ruined it for her. Ah. Oh. So we never that found movie, out what happened in the end. What was this movie? Back to the Future. Oh, Back to the Future. There was a storm at the end of Back to the Future. There was. There was lightning. Too. I have managed to um, to sit through it subsequently. Uh, yeah. Quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't recall that happening. But I've heard from my mother that uh, it most certainly did. Has has your mum caught up on the ending of Back to the Future yet? Yes, I think she went back without me. <laughs> Not long after. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of it is one of the classic uh, time travel time travel films. I think it probably introduced me to time travel as well. That or Flight of the Navigator. I remember having to watch that at school. Yeah, that was a school thing. Yeah, I, I don't really remember if it was any good. I remember not liking it at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so it may have been because it was at school. I don't know. Maybe because it was at school. Yeah, yeah. So, so back to the future and other time travel films. What's the uh, what's the general philosophy of time travel? Well, uh, we have to do uh, a, quite a big uh, distinction here between science fiction time travel and science reality time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main things at the moment is that physics kind of maybe allows time travel to the future, but. At this point, we don't really know that we can theoretically even travel back to the past. That's right, yeah. Well, you can travel to the future just by, if you travel at an appreciable fraction of the speed of light, you can... Uh, you can. Well, yeah, time travel. travel's actually, it's, it's happening right now. Like, um, there are already instances of time travel happening today. Oh, yes. But this is all through uh, time dilation. Yes, it's uh, the main concept here. So basically, to understand this, you, you need to, first of all, let's start thinking about time as a as a river. And so time doesn't flow at a constant rate all the time. Like rivers can have faster sections and slower sections and 
it can be in theory stopped at certain places and and time's a lot like that so time is relative and it's inexorably linked to things like gravity and the other dimensions so yeah we need to sort of set that as as background rules and then the theory of relatively relativity um tells us a bit about how these things are all interacting okay so time so is a time, river and life is a highway <laughs> i believe that's that's correct and love is a many splendid things <laughs> and I'm sure there are better there are better things that I could think of if it wasn't too early in the morning. Continue. I won't interrupt you again. Well, I love all I know about love is you don't need a credit card to ride the train. <laughs> Bringing it back to uh, Back to the Future and uh, exactly and what's his face? Uh, uh, Huey Lewis. Uh, Huey in the Lewis news. in the news. That's right. <laughs> Actually, Huey Lewis is performing next week in Boston. I'm very excited, but oh. unfortunately, I can't go. Oh, that's that's disappointing. You could have told him about this podcast. Yeah, it's a sad story, unfortunately. Let's see if we get the rights to use the music. <laughs> <laughs> if we ask him nicely. If we ask him nicely, yes. Sorry, continue. So, um, in terms of the theory of relativity, time dilation is basically a difference of elapsed time between two events as measured by observers in each event, basically. So, time passes more slowly for bodies moving quickly relative to bodies moving slowly. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, one of these examples that we can throw out here is GPS satellites. So they're cruising around in orbit around the world much quicker than, than we are on Earth. And so they're actually uh, a little bit younger than if they'd been left on the surface. That's right, and it's uh, they use they use that principle as part of the their location services, I believe. They do. That's all built in to uh, coordinate the the location. Otherwise, they would be fairly useless. That's right. It's one of those examples where if anybody asks you, "Oh, so what's science done? What's relativity ever done for us?" Well, Einstein's theory of relativity is used in GPS satellites, and that's how you got here on your phone to complain to me today. It's one of, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those good examples of. Uh, of what science does. Yeah, so so keep that theory of relativity in your back pocket because you might need it. Yes, that's right. All right, so, but when you think about GPS satellites, um, what about astronauts? So if an astronaut goes up into space for a long time, then they're going to be ageing at a slightly slower rate than if they'd been on Earth. And uh, do you know who the current record holder for time in space is? Um... No, I don't. Superman spent a lot of time in space. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he's really going to be affected the same way as cosmonaut Sergei Avdeyev. Ah, yes. Who I don't actually have the length of time that he spent in space. I think it's a number of months in one setting. But in that time, he's managed to accrue about a 20 millisecond difference. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it, we're, it's so it's a pretty minuscule fraction that that we're dealing with here. So it's possible, but we haven't really, uh, yeah, twenty milliseconds. We haven't really looked at the full potential of future time travel just yet. Yeah. So basically, the way to really ramp it up is to be travelling at say ninety percent of the speed of light. That's yes. one way of doing it. Um, so if you're travelling at that speed, um, regardless of how you got there, um, it's about six hundred million miles per hour. Or 
thereabouts. One hour for you in the ship is about two hours on Earth. Okay. Again, getting getting there, but it's still you know, the amount of energy that you need to do that is a bit crazy. However, if you manage to get up to 99% of the speed of light, mm. one day on the ship will actually be around about a year on Earth. Okay. Now, now we're talking business. Now it's now it's getting more useful. Yes, you can travel. So now, if you days. can, if you can head off from Earth, cruise up to ninety nine percent speed of light, do a U turn, slow down, get back to Earth. Then, yeah, there'll be a lot of time that's that's changed, but exactly how much we can't really be sure. And it's uh, yeah, those those the, 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 those energy levels that we're talking about are fairly ridiculous as well. Yeah. So we yeah, might, we're, we're not going to be sending humans to do that anytime soon. Maybe maybe uh, some uh, some subatomic particles or something? That, that could be the go. Actually, speaking of subatomic particles, um, in 2001, the OPERA experiment was a bunch of physicists using the um, neutrinos. Um, they actually thought neutrinos were travelling faster than light, mm-hmm. which is, in fact, time travel. That's right. There was a recent uh, experiment about this as well. Didn't they find that they, yes. that they just uh, needed to, you know, blow the dust off the the wires or something? It was just there was just a tiny little bit of error involved. Yeah. So when they tried to repeat it, they managed to um, find two sources of error. One was a loose fiber optic cable. <laughs> yeah. And right. a clock oscillator was ticking too fast. Oh, really. Yeah, so this was the OPERA experiment, um, which stands for Oscillation Project with Emulsion Tracking Apparatus, uh-huh. and that happened in 2011, and then the experiments were uh, uh, re- repeated, basically, by some other groups. Uh, the Icarus experiment, which was imaging cosmic and rare underground signals, um, they measured neutrinos at consistent with the speed of light, so... Yeah, that's uh, an unfortunate loose cable situation that got physicists a little bit too excited, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how when, you, when you're looking at such minute details, yes, everything has to be perfect. It can't yeah. be like my old chemistry days of, uh, oh, yeah, 25 mils. Yeah, that's about, that's about 25 mils. Just pour that yeah. in, stir it around. It doesn't, doesn't quite work <laughs> that way. The other thing I noticed out of those things is that how much time do you think they spend on coming up with the acronyms for their experiments? I know, they're amazing acronyms. There's other ones like Borexino, and it's, they're just <laughs> fantastic names. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably what they must spend half their time doing. They're going, oh, that's, yeah, we better go do something now. My science career has been wasted because I never come up with names for these things. I think if you can make something stand, Dr. Boob stand for something, if you can just be doing <laughs> the boob experiment, and, uh, <laughs> and, then you, and then when it becomes world famous and you, and you cure breast cancer and, uh, or prostate cancer... Uh, yeah. It could be boob. It'd be good. It'll be the Dr. Boob experiment. It'll be the Dr. Boob experiment. Uh, look, I'll, I'll leave that open to our many listeners to write in. Mm, suggestions are welcome. Suggestions are welcome. So, so, 
so uh, last episode when we actually put out a uh, Mr. Science show, uh, mm. it was it was the special Dr. Boob feature, and you talked about wormholes. How can they yeah. help us here? Well, wormholes uh, are a way of connecting two different points in space and time. So, if we can manage to create a wormhole, uh, then I guess in theory we'd be able to, uh, yeah, put it in any time that we wanted. A lot of people, though, theoretically say that what you need to do is make a wormhole and then accelerate one end of the wormhole into the future. So it would kind of be a one-way thing. And there's a few different theories about this. It's all very, um, well, extremely theoretical. Um, that the time it would take you to pass through the wormhole would equalise out. So you would, in fact, it would take you as long to pass through the wormhole as it would just to stand outside and wait for time to pass by. Right, okay. So, so I'm, trying to, a, I'm trying to picture this so that, like, you can put the ed, like the two ends of the wormhole in different points in space, that's easy to picture, but also in different times. Yeah. So I'm trying to picture yeah. time as just like another spatial dimension and just moving it around and, and putting it somewhere. That's, that's Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to think of, um, but, yeah, that's the idea. Um, but a lot of um, sci-fi movies are like use the wormhole you know, idea. So effectively, you can think of Back to the Future as when the DeLorean hits 88 miles per hour it, and the flux capacitor kicks in, it's going to create a wormhole for the car to travel through to another point. So in those instances, it's, it's the same geographical point, but it's a different point in time. Okay, all right, I see what you mean. And I, I remember when we spoke about this uh, during our, uh, our, our lovely uh, romantic weekend away in New York, uh, <laughs> there was an interesting concept with, with that in that how, like the Earth will have moved, with, with that flux capacitor issue, with the, with the DeLorean, the Earth will have moved uh, appreciably between 1950-odd and 1980-odd. So, yeah, this is, this is one of my, my issues with time tra travel in general in that, so... When you, you know, program the DeLorean, you put in a time, but you don't put in a space. And when you think about it in terms of the Earth is rotating, and the Earth is also orbiting the Sun, and the Sun is also in a larger orbit in the Milky Way, it's not in the same spot that it was. No, that's right. So if you're travelling back 30 years from 1985 to 1955... You're actually travelling a long distance as well as in time. I wonder what that distance is. We could, I'm sure we could figure that out. So the, the, we, we, we have to assume away that, uh, that somehow the flux capacitor works relative to the uh, centre of the Earth or to, to its gravity Yeah, it's, uh, it's somehow field or something. Yeah, able to, to get a, a key point as a reference, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we can... Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think we can assume that. I mean, Doc Brown fell over and hit his head on the bathroom. His head on the toilet, didn't he? And then he saw the He saw capacitor. it clearly. He yep, saw it clearly. That's right. It's a very biblical image, isn't it? It's very religious. It's like he saw I'll tell you that I, I've seen the um, the flux capacitor. Ah, did you fall over and hit your head in the toilet or did you see it in some other place? No, I saw it in, in, in person uh, when I went to South by Southwest in March. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, they actually had the DeLorean, complete with the Mr. Fusion adaption from the ah, second Back to the Future. Ah, that's right. Mr. Fusion, so they've invented fusion power. That's correct. Well, yeah. And, they, they, and he just chucks like 
Coke and aluminium cans and... Any organic produce, I think, can go in there and it's all good. Ah, so aluminium cans, I wonder how they work. Anyway, we're, uh, we're, we're moving off the, uh, off anyway. the topic, yes. Well, this, so there's actually, um, I don't know if in your research you've come across this, but it's possible, I say possible um, advisedly here, it's possible that teleporting and wormholes have already been perfected and are in existence. Now, there's, there's only one reference for this, I'm afraid, and that's a man called Andrew Bassaggio, who's an attorney from Seattle. Uh, hey, have, yes. Have you heard of Andrew? Uh, no, I haven't, and he's an attorney. So, he's an attorney. Okay. Yeah, he's a, I, I think he's about 48, 49 years old at this point. But he um, suggests, claims, uh, that when he was about between the age of 7 and 12 in the 70s, he was recruited through his father by DARPA. DARPA is the American Department of Defense, uh, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. Yes. For a thing called Project Pegasus. <laughs> yes. Which is basically time travel through teleportation. Okay. I'm not sure why they were using children aged 7 to 12. That's something that I haven't gotten to the bottom of. But apparently, uh, Andrew did uh, various assignments for the US government and travelled through time um, way back to the time of uh, Lincoln. Oh, good, uh, yes. He also travelled forward in time, I think, to 2045, he mentioned. Um, he also suggested that all presidents were aware of this, even future presidents, and Obama was told that he would be president well before he was actually elected president. Yeah. I haven't got any other sources to confirm this. We should uh, interview this guy. He sounds fascinating. He, he is. Not only that, but there's also references where he um, claims to have travelled to Mars and underground cities full of aliens are in existence on Mars. And there's actually multiple people who were associated with the US government who have come out and said that. Right. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, uh, um, I'm, I'm not saying that he's correct or false. I'm just saying this is what's out there. If you do an internet search, you will, you will see it too. So what was, what was his name again? Uh, Andrew Bassaggio. In yeah. fact, he's running a website, uh, which is, I think, projectpegasus.net. Projectpegasus.net. Ah, so DARPA didn't mind him using their name and putting it on the internet and telling everybody about it. Well, yeah, it seems to be the case, yes. I'd, I'd like some what proof. he did say. I'd like some proof uh, from the future. He needs to show me Gray's Sports Almanac or something like this. To, uh... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a second, but one of the things that he did say which was interesting was that this technology was obtained by the Department of Defense uh, from schematics drawn by Tesla and taken from Tesla's apartment after his death. Okay, okay. So Tesla and, um, being, a, being kind of a bit of a genius, a bit of a mad genius by the end. Yes, and I, I'm visualising here David Bowie playing Tesla in the movie The Prestige. <laughs> but now I'm visualising David Bowie playing the yeah. Goblin King in The Labyrinth with the very happy high pants, yes. Sorry, continue. 
Anyway, so that's all good. Um, but Andrew says that time travel is a lot like it's presented in Sliders, the TV show which starred Jerry O'Connell, I think. It's like Sliders, okay. Mm. Anyway, but you mentioned something there that you'd like some proof. Yes. Well, apart from the fact that Andrew says that they bring proof back that obviously the Department of Defence has and we can't see... There's been a few other people who've been um, trying to prove time travel um, but using non-physics methods and they're holding things like uh, MIT had a time traveller convention yes. and they, they placed a lot of heavily publicised uh, advertisements suggesting a time and a place for future travellers to meet. And so the theory being, hey, if you've come back from the future, you know, come and show us, come and talk to us about it. Yep, that's a good theory. And uh, Perth had a destination day in 2005 as well. That was another one of those. And in 1982, the Crononauts, uh, who are a group in Baltimore, they had another event as well. <laughs> yes. All of these have failed. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess... So, um, so worth a shot. Let's worth a shot. So, so let, let's 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 be nice and and think of right reasons why they would would have failed, as opposed to them just being crackpot ideas. And isn't the theory that um uh you know you can't travel back in time to a point before you turn your time traveling machine or experiment on? So maybe you can only yeah. you can only sort of travel in time once time travel has been invented. Maybe we just haven't invented time travel yet. Well, I, I remember at the time the Large Hadron Collider was first starting up that people were thinking that maybe that would be the start of, you know, receiving time travellers. Yes, That technology yes. was involved. That's right. And there were all these but, people saying that it had been sabotaged by the future because it was going to blow us up, that it was uh, going to rip apart the fabric of the universe. And that's why and at the start... Yeah, there was a black was, hole theory as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Because it had a bit of an aborted start. It took them uh, some period of time. There were failures mm. with helium leaks or hydrogen leaks or something. And it was time travellers uh, sabotaging it from the future. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't turn out to be correct. Not quite. No. Not quite. Sorry. <laughs> Don't apologise. It's not your fault. <laughs> Maybe it was. Maybe. Are you from the future? I might be part of a secret DARPA experiment. Because when I was between 7 and 12 and watching Back to the Future and Flight of the Navigator... Yeah. Mm -hmm. That yeah. was autobiographical for you. That was that was actually my story. Yeah. Yeah. Are so, you the navigator? So well, yeah, I am. And when you said that you didn't like it, I, I was actually really offended now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't recognize you uh in the film. Oh, look, I had, you know, I had um, somebody playing me. You know, somebody oh, okay. they they kind of made me less attractive. Anyway, um continue <laughs> uh continue telling me exciting things. Well, that's all the time we have in this edition of the Mr. Science Show, the podcast where science meets pop culture. My name is Mark West, and joining me today and doing most of the talking and most of the research was Dr. Boob, Chris Pettigrew. This was part one of a two-part podcast on the topic, so stay tuned. I'll get around to editing it pretty soon, and we'll get it up online shortly. If you'd like any more information on what you've heard today or on any other topic that you can think of, maybe we've got something on it, the website address is www.mrscienceshow.com. And from there, you can hook up on Facebook, Twitter, however you like. Thanks very much for joining us. 
I promise the next one will come out sooner than this one. Take care. <laughs>